electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'm going to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Over the weekend, we got these very positive but unsourced stories about how a debt ceiling, well, deal, it could be, I don't know, maybe one in hand? Like you, I was pleasantly surprised to see we're not about to degenerate into third world debtor nation status. But then I remembered how the debt ceiling talks played out in 2011. Oh, we hear good things like we heard this weekend, only to realize that they were just trial balloons or even total nonsense. So even though the Dow advanced 48 points, say S&P climbed 0.3%, the Nasdaq gained 0.66%, what happens if things are far more off the rails than we'd like? What if the negotiations are nowhere near done, even as the president's about to leave for Japan on Wednesday? I sure hope it's not the case. What should you buy, not sell, because we're down a lot, buy if the market gets pulverized in that possibility? Remember, we've been through this before, and the best thing about history is you can look it up. But you have to be smart with your analysis. It's not as simple as finding out what rallied the hardest after the debt ceiling deal in 2011. Well, you don't want losers to turn into winners at this point. You want winners that stayed winners right through the worst of the debt ceiling talks. Fortunately, money managers haven't had this much cash on the sidelines since 2009. Those were the generational lows for the averages. So we are looking indeed to and not sell, sell, sell. If the talks do break down this time, you can bet the focus will be on uncertainty, credit concerns, and yes, the possibility of a recession, just like we were worried about a recession in 2011. That's what it was all about then. So what worked back then? You know what? I found a list of eight stocks that performed incredibly well all year in 2011 with the breakdown in the debt ceiling talks giving you a tremendous temporary buying opportunity before they powered ahead into year end. These stocks were all tightly clustered with some no longer relevant and some simply not worth considering. So the order really won't matter that much. But you know what is ironic? Our first name from back then is front and center again today. It's called One Oak. Yep, the natural gas pipeline company that just announced this morning it's buying Magellan Midstream Partners for $19 billion. 
The merger's a little odd in that Magellan ships refined products, One Oaks Natural Gas. Neither Tulsa-based company has a coveted pipe to the oil-rich Permian Basin. Still, I think this deal's a match made in heaven, even without the 2011 precedent. Back then, One Oak ran from the mid-20s and changed to the high 30s from the bottom to the top after the debt downgrade. It was a terrific performer during that period, with the only decline coming at that moment of maximum panic for the entire market. The stock's down barely today on news of this Magellan deal. It's an arbitrage deal, even though I think it's a good one. And you can buy the stock, the best natural gas pipeline in the country. Bountable 6.6% yield. I like it. Next, consider Ross Stores. That's the off-price discount chain, which ran up 7 bucks from its 16 and changed bottom in 2011. Now, Ross reports Thursday, and while I, I don't hate it, I am a much bigger fan of TJX, which reports on Wednesday. Now, we own TJX for the Chapel Trust, and we're telling members of the investing club that it should have a good quarter because so many nearby Bed Bath & Beyonds are vanishing. Now, I want to see what they have to say. For all we know, TJX might tell us that Bed Bath inventory is all over the place, driving down prices. So we have to wait to see where it settles. The ideal thing is to buy some tomorrow and then buy some more TGX after reports Wednesday morning when we'll be talking about it at our monthly club call. Fill everybody in. We know the off-price stocks worked during the last debt ceiling showdown, so I think that gives you extra confidence it's going to work again. Now, here's one I think is some real opportunity and it was surprising to see. Chipotle. Yeah, these guys just reported a terrific quarter. This stock came in hot going into the last debt ceiling crisis by our clock, then roared from 270s to around 340 after the crisis was solved. Chipotle trades erratically at all times, but the best time to buy it is when you have the most current information. And right now, that information is fresher than an Alpa store. I say, ah. Chipotle. Hey, next, we own Humana for the charitable trust. And while we didn't pick it for its extraordinary outperformance after the standard poor's downgraded the U.S. debt in 2011, it certainly doesn't hurt. Back then, the stock roared from 65 bucks to nearly $90. Like the others, it had been strong all year, then dipped into the worst of the debt ceiling fiasco and then caught fire again. I think Humana is the ultimate stock for anyone who's worried about a recession that might not happen. Now, Humana reported the best numbers both before and after, uh, and I think they can do it again. I really like this stock. Now, I've been eyeing the stock of MasterCard ever since that great last quarter that it just reported. And sure enough, you know what? It turned out to be a tremendous winner in 2011, too, assuming you bought the stock before it rebounded like crazy. After all this German dragging about fintech, it turns out that MasterCard has been the fastest grower, most consistent operator in that space for ages. No credit issues because they don't actually lend money. Lots of special services that distinguish it from Visa. It would be a gift if this stock pulls back and reacts to a inevitable breakdown in the negotiations. Bye, bye, bye. I have a tougher one with the next. Really, this is a tough one for me. The next one is Biogen, because there's so much good news in it about both its Alzheimer's drug and a potential treatment, or at least a marker for ALS. Now, these are horrendous, horrendous diseases. And all this good news for Biogen makes the stock a speculative behemoth. But I think it's unlikely to repeat its post-debt ceiling run from the high 70s to above 100. That's what we saw in 2011. You know what? I'm afraid to go with Eli Lilly, which has a similar drug for Alzheimer's, but also has a diabetes and weight loss combination, which can be taken separately under the name Mujaro. This drug doesn't just cause you to lose about 15% of your weight in an incredibly short period of time. It's also being tested for high blood pressure and excessive drinking. It could be a wonder drug. Finally, there's Intuitive Surgical, the robotic surgery play that we recently had on the show. Wow, is it a good story. And it was great back then in 2011. Intuitive was at that point still focused on prostate-related illnesses, a smaller market. But now some machines are used for all sorts of ailments. They go into your pancreas, your liver, your gallbladder. The whole robotic surgery industry's had a renaissance of late after a full stop caused by COVID. 
And I think the numbers here will be good enough that Intuitive Surgical can rival its run from the bad days of 2011, a run that took it from the 30s to the low 50s. What a stock to buy. Bye, bye, bye. There's a theme here, of course, healthcare, discounters, fintech without credit issues, and a pipeline play. They're all defensive, with the exception of MasterCard, although MasterCard's unique as far as the financial technology names go, and I say expensive. It's good. Well, you could also argue that Chipotle is not defensive, but at the time, it sure seemed like it. I wish I were less skeptical of a theoretical debt ceiling deal falling apart or coming together less than perfectly. But in the 2011 talks, there was a sense that something had to happen and someone had to give. And that's someone being President Obama because he wanted to get reelected the next year. Now it's President Biden who's acting like there's a deal. And the Republicans say there's no such thing. Sure, they can kick the can down the road, but the closer it gets to the election, the worse it gets for the White House. I hope Biden's just trying to negotiate as hard as he can. But right now, it seems like both sides are willing to take way too much risk with our country's finances. The complacency confounds me, makes me a little more negative than I would be given all the cash from the sidelines. So the bottom line, take these current negotiations with what we know from the history of 2011, and then you'll be ready for whatever this moment throws at you. Now you've got a buy list if it gets really ugly one tested by the great debt fiasco of 2011. Let's go to Shane in Alabama. Shane. Hey, Jim. Thank you. You're still thank my you. favorite cameo in Iron Man. Oh, that was fun in that one. I like that. Thank you for mentioning it. What's going on? Jim, you're a true superhero, saving us from monetary mayhem. My question is about Hostess Brands. Is it a buy right now or wait for a sweeter price? Well, I think that Andy Callahan's doing a remarkable job. They've really reinvented that company, and I'm going to say it is a buy. They've done terrific. I've got to get him back on the show. What a nice move. What a good thing he's done here. Let's go to Chris in Pennsylvania, please. Chris. Hey, Jim. It's Chris from, from uh, Hazleton, Pennsylvania. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about you? All right. Um, we just have a question about uh, um, Goodyear Tire. Well, Goodyear tires up uh, just a very, very quick 40 percent uh, on Elliott. Fi- Elliott Partners filing to say that there should be a lot more that can be done here. Rich Kramer uh, has been has come on the show before, but the stock has been a loser and now it's becoming a winner. And I've got to tell you, if it comes down a little, I would pull the trigger. Not up here because it just moved 40 percent. Let's go to Joe in Georgia. Joe. Jim, love your show. I wanted to ask you about Berkshire Hathaway. How do you feel about Oh, uh, Berkshire Hathaway is terrific. And I got to tell you, I spent all day listening to Becky do that great interview. And that was some learning lesson. All I did was come back thinking even better feelings about how much I like Berkshire Hathaway, including the fact that they have an excellent succession plan. All right. If you're nervous about the outcome of the debt ceiling talks, just remember, we've been through this before. This time around, you just have to be smart with your analysis and look at the stocks I just mentioned. Well, man, buddy, tonight worries about a government default continue to hang over this market. But one place where we're about to see a bunch of government spending, infrastructure. As money from spending packages begins flowing to the states, I'm buying one player that stands to benefit. I'll reveal the name when I sit down with the CEO just ahead. Then, at confusing and turbulent moments like this one, I'm putting emotions to the side and going off the charts to find out what the, tech, the technicals are saying. And they're pretty darn interesting between the NASDAQ and the S&P. And Planet Fitness took a tumble after reporting earnings. But as concerns about a recession linger, could a consumer trade down drive additional upside? I'm sitting down with the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. 
follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. You ask most economists, they'll tell you that most governments tend to be awful at economic stimulus because by the time the new spending kicks in, you don't need it anymore. But sometimes Uncle Sam gets it right, maybe by accident. In 2021 and 2022, our government passed a series of massive spending bills, the big infrastructure package, the CHIPS Act, and the so-called Inflation Reduction Act. By the time that last one rolled out, we had rampant inflation. I figured timing was terrible. The last thing you want in an overheated economy is trillions in additional spending. But... Because it takes forever for this money to flow to the states, it's only now to start to kick in. And that's right. That's what we wanted. After the Federal Reserve spent over a year slamming the brakes of the economy to cool things down. Totally by accident, we're about to see tons of government spending into a slowing economy. That's how it should be. So who benefits? Jacob Solutions, the engineering construction firm that's like a project manager for these large infrastructure projects. When Jacobs reported last Tuesday, they delivered a good quarter. And then we also learned that they plan to spin off their critical mission solutions business, which is more focused on aerospace and national security, also very interesting. I think it's a smart move because it'll give you two easier-to-understand enterprises, which is what Wall Street really wants. Do not take it from me. Let's check in with Bob Brugada. He's the, he's the, he just took over as CEO of Jacob Solutions earlier this year. Mr. Brugada, welcome to Mad Money. Jim, thanks for having me. Well, I am so thrilled about what you're doing. And first, I just want you to kind of, we, we profiled your company. But let's talk about the, the two different companies that are coming and how exciting they really are. They are. They're tremendously exciting. Two industry leaders in what they do. $15 billion enterprise uh, with, with both. Two-thirds of our business is in, as you appropriately said, the infrastructure right. and advanced facilities world. One-third in the government services world, both industry leaders. What we announced last week was the intent to separate the businesses for a few reasons. One, create a simpler, higher growth, higher margin business with our infrastructure right. and advanced facilities business. And then second, really build our government services business, allow it to be standalone, and have capital allocation 
prioritize for the industry that it serves. And so we're excited about the, uh, the venture. Uh, on the infrastructure side, we've got a great opportunity oh, to take advantage. Oh, talk about some of the contracts the you have. And, and you're basically the general contractor for some gigantic jobs that are coming down the road. We do. We, we, we are not only on, on infrastructure projects, but large tech manufacturing. We talked about the CHIPS Act. Right. A lot of the semiconductor investment that's going into either reshoring efforts or technology advancements. You know, we're in the middle of all of those. Well, can you explain to people, it isn't like the government builds these things. The government issues contracts, maybe often through the states. You are a consistent winner in these contracts. We are. And, and we have a diversity in what we do for those projects. I like that. Uh, we do consulting. We do uh, engineering and design. We'll program manage these. Uh, but what's really unique today is our digital enablement. You know, before it was numbers of people that were dedicated right. to a job and you differentiated by scale. Today, we're differentiating. We still have scale, but two other things. We're bringing those people from around the world, as well as using digital platforms, mobility analytics, uh, preventative, uh, pre preventative applications, as well as getting out in front with things like AI right. and generative design. Well, I think you should explain to people that this helps you price something. Periodically, we'll see even the best companies price a program incorrectly, and then suddenly you have overruns. Your company is not known for that. Your company's very disciplined. Very disciplined. That operational discipline pedigree, uh, Jim, has been with us for 75 years, right. and we've just played that through as we've continued to transform ourselves. All right, so there are a lot of companies uh, that, that people get fascinated about. And one of them is Palantir. And I, I like the last quarter. But if I wanted a Palantir-like company that's actually making money, wouldn't that be a little bit more like the one that is, that's being spun off here? It, it, it would be. Right. It would be. And, and so what we're spinning off is a, a great company. And we're really excited about the future and opportunities for that company. Because of the, the investment that we can make now, or the, the, the new owners can make, tied to the industries they serve. Now, interesting about Palantir, um, we are actually partnered with Palantir. partners with them, that's why I brought it up. On the infrastructure side. Right. And on so the those, in on the infrastructure side, those algorithms that Palantir has uh, really are powerful. What do they use? Big data. What's infrastructure? Big data. Big data. Water treatment plants, transportation. These are applications that, together with Palantir, we're really, really redefining. Well, right. well I turned positive on them last week. There was no denying. I don't want to get take away from your company. There's no de denying. They're about, they're, they're about profitability now. So where are we in terms of all of this money, the hundreds of billions of dollars? Is it just now beginning to filter through? I know that I, I spoke to the infrastructure czar, Mr. Landrew, and, and he's doing a terrific job. But he, he said that only about $100 billion has been allocated so far. Early innings. Early innings. Early, early innings. Um, we at Jacobs have been able to capitalize on some of those early spends that have come out. Um, but we're, we're really, really optimistic about the future. Interesting point here, Jim. The application, especially on the grant money that's being distributed, and, 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 uh, and Mitch and I talked about this, is going to underserved, underrepresented areas of That's the what he told me. He yeah. said, listen, Jim, you're too focused on the big money and not talking about where it's going and where it's really needed and hasn't been given before. And this is a real unique opportunity as a country for us to come together and really get the spend directed in those areas. All right. So, look, you're a level-headed fellow. How concerned should we be about this non-residential construction people constantly talk about, the inner-city buildings that are empty? I mean, you, you, you can handle any, anything. Is that going to be a problem for multiple years? I can't speak to, uh, you know, the commercial real estate, the commercial buildings component. But what I would say is this is, 
I don't think it's going to be a problem that we can't solve. And what I mean by that is, is that we just got to be creative. You know, I talked a little bit about digital enablement. Right. Supply chains are being reformed. How we source materials, how those get delivered to jobs, all of that is this creative thought leadership that we're really in the middle and of. And one last question. If we do have a slowdown, this money really is coming at the right time, is it? It is coming at the perfect time, Jim. Well, I'm so glad because I know that we think we have loved your company because it knows how to price business and long-term contracts. So there's very few surprises, which is terrific. Okay, that's Bob Bergami. He is the he's Jacob Solutions, symbol J. Okay, there's going to be another company that comes off spinoff or two. That could be very interesting to you. Uh, and there's a lot of great things going for it. But I like the core Jacob's business. Man, buddy's back after the break. Thanks, Jim. Coming up. Mega caps are leading the way. Join us off the charts to find out where the markets are headed next. Here's a question. Have you ever been prescribed a medication? Most likely, yes. Well, what about this question? Did you understand how it worked? The way your medication works in your body shouldn't be a mystery. Learn how Vivgart, Fgart Tigamod Alpha FCAB works by visiting vivgart.com slash MOA. That's V-Y-V-G-A-R-T dot com slash MOA. Brought to you by Argenix. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is Constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How do we get a read on this market while we wait for the next debt ceiling shoe to drop? Rather than trying to parse every piece of news from the negotiations in Washington, which, of course, I'm still trying to do, what if we acknowledge that we don't know how this will play out? And maybe we just take a step back and try to think bigger. At confusing and turbulent moments like this one, I always like to put my emotions to the side, take a more empirical approach to the market, something quantitative that can't be thrown off by fears of the government possibly defaulting on its obligations. That's why tonight we're going off the charts with help of Jessica Inskip. Oh, she's a brilliant technician. She, she was the first woman on the active trader desk at Fidelity before becoming the director of advanced trader strategy at Merrill Self-Direct. And now she's the director of product and, and education at Options Play. But she still consults with all the major brokerage firms in the self-directed space. I think her work is terrific. So what does Inskip see in the charts right now? 
Well, interestingly enough, she sees a market where mega cap tech stocks are leading the way. Something she predicted the last time we highlighted her work a little bit over a month ago, and I think a lot of people were skeptical, not anymore. Take a look at the weekly chart of the NASDAQ 100. That's a tech-heavy index made of the 100 largest non-financial stocks in the NASDAQ composite. Get rid of some of those nasty small backs. Inskin points out that the NASDAQ 100 is trend, trending higher and overcoming some key milestones long before the broader base S&P 500. NASDAQ is just very, very strong. During the week of April 24th, the NASDAQ 100 finally closed above the gap down that formed in late August of last year. You can see this is the big decline, and now we're finally above it. Okay, see that? Uh, uh, that was when everything collapsed as the Fed recommitted to its fight against inflation and tech got hit the hardest. According to Inskip, that gap formed a ceiling of resistance, and now that we're above the high end of it at 13210, it's become a floor of support underneath. There's 13210 is right there, and you see this as we're up. That's the floor of support. Going forward, she says the NASDAQ 100's next major hurdle is the high from August 15 of last year. That's 13720. That would be a big move, okay? That's up more than 300 points from where we are right now. If we can clear that hurdle, well, guess what? She thinks that would validate the recent rally, maybe even take it higher. But even without breaking through that ceiling, it thinks there's a lot to like here. The NASDAQ 100 is consistently closed above its 26 and 40 week moving averages, and we're looking at that when we're seeing those, okay? You can see that it's trading above those, all right? Which tells her we're looking at a bullish trading cycle. She points out the index hasn't gone below these key moving averages since January 10, long time. At the same time, Inskip points out that the upward slope of the moving averages indicates a new base is forming. When a stock or an index builds a base, that's where it consolidates its gains and gets ready for its next leg higher. So it's basing. And getting ready, okay? I think that right here, by the way, is a huge base that's developing. She likes to look at the 13-week, the 26-week, and the 40-week moving averages because those represent one, two, and three-quarters, respectively. And all three are looking encouraging. Specifically, the cadence looks good. The one-quarter moving average is better than the two-quarter moving average, which in turn is better than the three-quarter moving average. And that's the cadence going higher, and I love that. Again, this shows huge amount of strength. What happens when we zoom out, though, and we look at the monthly chart of the NASDAQ 100? Okay, this longer-term view can tell us a lot. Inskip notes that the NASDAQ 100 has now closed above its 12-month moving average for the last three months, which is very encouraging. Okay, so we're above that. This is the 12 months. Okay. Um, at the same time, check out the moving average convergence divergence, or MAC. MAC, this is the MAC down here, okay? This is a crucial momentum indicator that can help technicians spot changes in the security trajectory often before they happen. Specifically, when the black line crosses above the red line, you we see right here, that's one of the most reliably bullish signs, and that's what's happening at this very moment. Uh, that hasn't happened yet, though. But the MACD is getting real close to this kind of bullish crossover, which would be a powerful buy signal. And then we continue to drive this above this the uh, 12 month, the 12. Let me see. I want to be sure I've got this right. Yes, the 12 week moving average. How useful is the MACD line? Look, the last time we got a crossover here. A negative one was in February of 2022. So you can see this is when we broke down. All right. And that was a very worrisome time. The Nasdaq 100 back then, you sidestepped eight months of grueling declines if you could do, do that. Instagram says you can see these crossovers at the beginning and end of every major bear market going back to 1998. While the bullish crossover hasn't happened yet. Remember, we're jumping the gun here. It has not crossed that yet. She thinks we're getting very close, and it likely won't be long before the MACD line's giving you the all-clear signal. I usually like to see the sign first, but she is being a little more aggressive than I am. Next up, what about the broader S&P 500? 
Now, take a look at the weekly chart here. Unlike the NASDAQ 100, the S&P is still trying to break out above its peak from January 30th. So we know the S&P is not doing as well as the NASDAQ. This supports Inskip's thesis that we've got a range-bound market where tech remains strong. In other words, tech that's in the NASDAQ, not the S&P. It's not enough. Going forward, she sees the S&P stuck between a floor of support at 4,100, right here, okay? And that ceiling resistance at 4195, which is right here, can't seem to crack that. In other words, we're going sideways, but not necessarily in a bad way. While the S&P keeps uh, failing to make higher highs, it has been making higher lows. At the same time, Inskip points out the S&P consistent close above its 26 and 40 week moving averages of late. They're all sloping higher. She thinks the S&P 500 is forming a nice base, too, although it's not as encouraging as what we saw with the Nasdaq 100. Again, I'm emphasizing that the S&P is not as good as the Nasdaq, and the Nasdaq's being helped by those large cap stocks that we talked about so much on Mad Money. Now, when you zoom out with the S&P 500's monthly chart, there are more similarities with the Nasdaq 100. The S&P's closed above the 12-month moving averages for the last three months, and the monthly MACD line also seems like it's, uh, it's on its way to making a bullish crossover. Again, remember me, I'm more conservative. She's saying that this is probably going to go up. It's much further away from, uh, from that, though, than the Nasdaq 100 was. I'm not as certain as she is. Finally, let's take a uh, look at this final pair of charts. On the bottom, it's the weekly chart of the S&P 500. On the top, it's a ratio. The S&P 500 equal weighted index versus the normal S&P 500. Wall Street likes to look at the S&P equal weight as a way to measure the breadth of a given move. Normally, we like it when we've got lots of breadth, meaning many sectors leading us higher. I'd always prefer a market with good breadth to a market with bad breadth. But, and this is a very big but, Inskip points out that the S&P can rally just fine, even with declining breath, meaning fewer and fewer winners. Look at the period from 2011 through 2020. This is the time when mega cap uh, tech stocks mostly led the way. That was the fang moment. It was a great bull market, and you did it just fine in an index fund. However, if you were picking individual stocks, the pool of available winners was often pretty small. It was just that they were big winners. It was just that they were fang. Here's the bottom line. The charts interpreted by Jessica Inskip suggest we could be headed for a market that's reminiscent of the last decade, where a relatively small number of terrific mega cap stocks can rally hard enough to pull the whole market higher, even if there aren't many other winners. Now, that is not my favorite kind of bull market. I kind of thought that was in the past, but I will admit it's a lot better than a bear market. Let's take some questions. Let's go to David in Massachusetts. David. Hey, Jim. This is David from Brookline, Mass. Uh, I saw your interview with the CEO of Adobe. I thought he was pretty impressive and sounded strong on AI. The stock is uh, 25% off. It's just 52-week high. Let me know your thoughts. Is this a buy? Okay, well, Adobe's got an acquisition it's trying to close that the government won't let it do, which I think would be really, really terrific. If it weren't for that, I would just say it's all systems go. And I'll tell you why. Because they have a terrific deal that they were talking about today where they're doing some great breakthrough stuff with generative AI. So I want to be with them, not against them. I think they will be just fine. Let's go to Jared in Colorado, please. Jared. What's happening, Jim? Thanks for taking my call. Absolutely. What's awesome. Up? All right, man. The company I'm calling about, they offer commission-free trading, gold, and IRA, and their cash management gives 10% cash back. What are your thoughts on Robinhood, H-O-O-D? I, I actually and- like the moves that Robinhood's been making, okay? I think that they're doing some good things. I think that they're doing more educational. I think that they're fooling around less, you know, with the kind of gamification. So I am in favor of what Robinhood's doing, but the brokerage industry's gotten very tough right now. So even though I like what they're doing, That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to lead to a higher stock price. Let's go to Bob in Vermont, please. Bob. Hi, Jim. 
Hey, I'm considering reallocating a part of my portfolio and the two stocks. I'm going to keep one and sell the other. And the two stocks are Pfizer and Bristol-Myers. What do you All right, think? Let's, let's go with Bristol-Myers. Pfizer's made a series of acquisitions that I think are going to pay out over time. Uh, it does have a little bit higher yield than Bristol. Bristol does have a new CEO coming in, but he's being left with a very good hand by Dr. Cafario. So I like the Bristol anti-cancer franchise and some of the other things they're working on. I think that Bristol's a little more conservative right here. I want to go with BMY. Okay, the charts as interpreted by Jessica Inskip suggest we could be headed for a market where a small number of terrific mega cap stocks can rally hard enough to pull the whole market higher. Sounds a little like FANG, doesn't it? That's not my favorite kind of bull market, but it's a lot better than a bear market. Much more mad money ahead. My hunt for investable themes continues. When I sit down with the CEO of Planet Fitness, stock has taken a hit over the past few weeks, but could it be a buying opportunity? Let's, let's figure it out. Then, how I got Amazon wrong when it comes to AI. And of course, all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. What in the world's going on with the stock of Planet Fitness, one of our faves, the affordable gym chain? The stock plummeted 16% in a single session when it reported a week and a half ago. It made no sense to me. This is one of the best-run gym chains out there. But back in the old days, it was also one of the only publicly traded gym stocks. So maybe there's a lot more competition. I don't know. What about now? When Planet Fitness posted its most recent quarter of this month, they delivered a tough set of numbers with management warning that their expansion plans faced some headwinds from higher interest rates. The stock got clobbered on that. I thought it was a mistake. I really believe it didn't deserve to plummet 16%. The quarter was not terrible. Same store sales came in much better than expected, nearly 10%. They reiterated their full-year forecast, too. So does the hideous decline make sense, or could it be a buying opportunity? Let's check in with Chris Rondo, the CEO of Planet Fitness. Get more color in the quarter. What comes next? Mr. Rondo, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right, so, Chris, before we get into the numbers, you're doing something that I think is really terrific for those of us who are worried about teen suicide, worried about teens mm-hmm. in general. High school summer pass in session. Tell us about it, because I think it's the kind of person, it's the kind of thing that tells us who you are. Yeah, it, it's, it's a great program. We did it last year. We had three and a half million teens working on our facilities for free all summer long. No strings attached. Three and a half million teens. And uh, it's the right thing to do, first off, right, with mental health and, and, and all that that helps with all that stuff, as well as, you know, introduce them to, to fitness and being better healthy, you know. And, and for me, I started working out at 16. And, yes, it ended up my career. But I don't think if I didn't start working out at an early age, it, kept me, it, it made me do something in my free time, right? right. And I, it's a healthy habit. It's something to do. So get you off your devices. Get you off the couch. keeps you active. But uh, so we have high hopes for this year. Um, a little different this year, we, you could pre-register and it launched today. We've already had a quarter of a million teens activate. That's great. And today it opens up so all teens in high school can work out for free all summer long, no strings attached, and introduce to fitness. It does seem like that there is, uh, that I don't want to say a whole group of people is not in shape, but they, they don't seem to have an inclination to work out the way that you did. <laughs> it's you know, the Gen Z's and the Millennials, for that matter, their propensity to work out is much higher than ours, okay. Gen X and the Boomers, for sure. And it's funny because we all think they're on the devices, they don't work out, they're right. lazy, blah, blah, blah. So untrue. Um, we have almost one in 10 Millennials in the entire country is a member of Planet Fitness. That's fantastic. We're already almost one in 10 Gen Z is already a member of Planet Fitness. And that's with five more years of Gen Z's that are still too young to join. So that's only going to go higher penetration of Gen Z's. And then you have Alpha coming up right behind them. Right. So the younger generations are more apt to work out. 
in gyms than the older generations, believe it or not. Well, that's good. That's good yeah. because we want that. Now, there was, I thought, some confusion on the call, frankly. I love the numbers because you added so many more people. Mm-hmm. You never lost a gym during during nope. COVID. Nope. Uh, the the excitement about all the different programs you offer and all your different, by the way, your colleagues that are offering programs with you made me feel terrific about it. But you did drop a line about how interest rates make it a little harder to be able to, for franchisees to have new stores. And to me, that, that tended to become the focus of the call. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you meant it to be. No, really. We had 1.1 million member net growth in first quarter, highest since 2020, right. first quarter. So 18.1 million members, 9.9% same source sales. Most of it is member growth, which is great. So we're getting more people off the couch. Right. You know, we reiterated guidance with 160. Um, we're still saying 600 over the next three years. Um, you know, you look at it in with corporate stores on top of that, you're talking about, Jim, almost three and a half million square feet of development. Right. In today's world, that's pretty, that's pretty good. Sure. And look, if you I, I was thinking they're acting as if you're dropping your long term goal of 4000. Not at no, all. You could totally stuck with it. No, absolutely not. And member growth is key. You know, member growth solves everything. Right. If the customers like your product and the members are joining, they're canceling less. Right. They're, they're right. joining at the same rates. You know, that solves everything. So it's just, you know, this year here, 160, I think I'm happy with. I like this idea of these perks programs. Uh, they are all ways to get more customers. Why not? They all work, don't they? They do. And, and, you know, every, every we have a tons of perks now. And the larger we get, with more data we collect, because it's all redeemed through the app, right? And, uh, you know, Crocs, Shell Gasoline, Blue, Blue Apron, Sam Club, you go down the list. And, um, and the, our hypothesis is that, you know, people don't work it out every day, right? Right. And almost half our members don't use the club in a 30-day period. Right. People fall off the wagon, they get busy with kids' soccer, whatever else is going on. But, you know, some, if we're giving them value outside the four walls... And yes, we have workout content to work out at home. But hey, if I'm getting a discount on my kids' Crocs or I'm saving money on gas, right. Planet's got my back, right? Yes. And, and, and guess what? 25% of the people who redeemed benefit haven't used the club in over 90 days. Yes, yeah. 25%. I, I, and I always like the re-ups. The re-ups are another good indicator. I, I think, look, you're just a, here's why I looked at it. You are a transparent person, and you give everybody the good and the bad. Now, I think it was right that you had to mention the interest, but the fact is is that there are still plenty of people, I felt, who still want, there's a big queue of people who want to have Planet Fitnesses. Oh, absolutely. You know, our our, our franchisees are super bullish, right? Right. But you got to think, you know, the cost of construction is up right now. Yes. Interest rate is up. You know, do they build ahead of their schedule or obligation today where maybe costs come down in a year, or they just open what they're obligated to do? You know, which is the difference, you know, right. so they just, you know, they're eager to open. But why am I going to open next year's unit early when maybe costs come down? Well, I would give, let me give you the other side. As someone who's always liked the franchise business, this would be my opportunity. Others are waiting. I'll yeah. scoop it up. Yep. But maybe it's your balance sheet. If you don't have a lot, you know, if you have a lot of cash, you don't have to worry. But the fact is, is that this would be to me the moment I want to be in. Some of the others are faltering. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's higher end that's doing well, but the niche that you have is the biggest niche. That's the one I want. So I think that it's just a matter of time. And that if you hadn't mentioned that, I think people would have just said, <laughs> I'll buy the stock. Honestly, because yeah, yeah, yeah. you're so, you're, look, you're yeah. a straightforward guy, but the numbers are, don't lie. And your business is good. And even with today's the inflationary cost on a construction or in the interest, the margins of this business, franchisee, right. is spectacular. And it's Better than most QSR or any other franchise opportunity you get. Absolutely. But when you know you use the pre-COVID numbers, some people are a little hesitant. But at the end of the day, is it's a great return on investment. Right. Members are happy with the product yeah. and they're joining like crazy. You know, this is just 
160 a year. We make it up next year. Oh, no, I know it's a good business. My neighbor has five of them and did so well, <laughs> sold it. Now I'm thinking, all right, Nantucket, see you later. That's Chris Rondo, CEO of Planet Fitness. Thank you so much, Chris. It's so great much. to see Actually, you. Always. May have money's back after the break. Coming up, what's in your mind, America? Give us a call. The lightning round is storming the NYSE. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Dad, time for the lightning round. Let's start with let's start with Tyler in California. Tyler. Hey, big booyah from California. How are you doing, Jim? I'm doing well. How about you, Tyler? What's up? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Hey, I know we like stocks that are making money and debt-free. So with an expanding margin portfolio and debt-free balance sheet, shares being at lowest valuation since 2022. What do you think of Chewy ahead of earnings? All right, they have now, they are pivoting. They are pivoting in a way that makes me feel that they have got the right numbers. I am excited about the fact that they have gotten religion about making money too. Let's go to Joe in New Jersey. Joe. Uh, Jim, thanks for taking my call. Quite welcome. I have a question on ETD, Enterprise Products Partners. Okay, they are the foremost natural gas liquids pipeline in the country. And after what I saw today with Magellan getting a bit from One Oak, I'm liking Enterprise even more. Let's go to Matt in Illinois. Matt. Matt, what's up? Yeah, I'm interested in how uh, you think Coin will do, given the uh, crackdown by the SEC and how saturated the crypto space has become with, like, scams and memes. Like, I even saw the Kramer coin, whatever that is. Okay, what's the stock? What's stock? Oh, coin, Coinbase. Oh, no, I'm not a, a believer in Coinbase because I don't like companies that pick fights with the SEC. It's just, it's just too hard. The SEC plays with unlimited capital, and they're not to be trifled with. Let's go to Bob in Nevada. Bob. The great, big, maize and blue University of Michigan beat Ohio three years in a row. Booyah. Well, that's a, that's a powerful booyah. It's a very powerful booyah. How can I help? My question is on a gold play you recently had on your show. Triple flag, precious metal. Oh, I like that company so much. I think it's terrific. And I do like the precious metals. By the way, I like that Newmont deal. There's so much happening in the gold world that I like so much right now. Let's go to Jackie in Michigan. Jackie. Hi. Hi, Jim. This is Jackie. Um, I sold uh, Novartis NBS and bought... uh, GlaxoSmithKline, uh, GSK, and I just want your opinion. I think she, I think that they're putting it together. I think Dame M. Wozniak is putting together a very good suite of uh, vaccines that will be reflect very well on the company's future earnings power. I'm going to say you can buy GSK. Let's go to Cole in California. Cole. Hey, Jim. This is his dad, Booyah, Brett. I'm going to turn it over to Cole. Okay. Hey, Jim, I'm Cole. I'm 15. What do you think about Amgen? You know what? It's an inexpensive stock, but it's inexpensive for a reason. It doesn't have the earnings power that I really want. I think the company needs a bit of a shakeup. There are so many other pharmaceutical companies that I like more. Cole, I think it's fantastic that you're calling in, but I'm going to have to send you to Eli Lilly. Let's go to Erica in Pennsylvania, please. Erica. Hi, Jim. How are you? I am good. How about you, Erica? What's going on? Uh- I'm doing great. I've got a good question for you. Okay. 
All right. So AI is a super hot topic in tech, right? Yes, it is. But I think that quantum computing is waiting patiently on deck for its time. So I'm looking at IonQ, among others, as a player in this space to be interested in. They had their earnings call recently, and I'm just curious what you think about this stock. It's intriguing, but it's losing money. I remember Jensen Wong first telling me, listen, quantum computing is where it will be, but it's not there yet. And this company is losing too much money for me to be able to get behind. But I do like your sentiment. There will come a time, but not yet. Let's go to Mike in Florida. Mike. Booyah, ski daddy. Yo, what's happening, Mike? Hey, nothing much. Sorry about your uh, Sixers there, buddy. That was a tough. That was very tough. Whoa, that was re- that was almost too tough there. How can I help? What's going on? So my my question is about a company. Uh, it's a nuclear utility that is uh, building and commissioning the first two reactors built in the last three decades here in the United States. Uh, my question and my company is, uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts on Southern Co? I can't believe they, got, they finally got those plants done. I've got to tell you, that is, I got to hand it to them. SO's fine. I still prefer American Electric Power. I think more of that. Um, by the way, I will tell you that I think more of Con Ed than that because I don't like the construction risk. But they are through with it, and congratulations to them. Let's go to Jerry in Missouri. Jerry. Hey, Jim. In the homestress this afternoon, you discussed that there is a relentless belief that AI is the savior and that whatever is touched by AI goes up. You think that snowflake fits into this group? No, snowflake is more kind of a rent the rent the runway of the cloud, and I think they're terrific at it. And I will back Frank Slootman, even though the company's not currently make money. I'll wave my my rules and say buy snowflake. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the. Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Kramer has a revised thesis on Amazon. Don't miss his up-to-date take on AI. Next. Mia culpa time. I was wrong about Amazon. I thought Amazon was being left behind on the artificial intelligence front. I assumed the winners here would be Meta, Microsoft, Alphabet, and NVIDIA. Meta's used AI to get around Apple's privacy rules in order to make its advertising more targeted. Advertisers will pay up for that. They love that. Microsoft's invested $13 billion in OpenAI. That's the firm behind ChatGBT. That could already be a home run. Alphabet's been playing catch-up, but it's looking like it'll become the go-to consultant for AI, including through its new deal with Adobe to deliver creator-focused generative AI. We talked about that this very morning on Squawk on the Street. And this trial collaboration with Wendy's last week to have AI handle drive-through orders. But I was way behind on what Amazon's doing here, and that's a huge mistake on my part. you got to own your mistakes. You don't even have to look that hard to find this stuff. For example, in an Amazon Web Services machine learning blog from April 13th titled New Tools for Building with Generative AI on AWS, they talk about how Intuit, Thomson Reuters, AstraZeneca, Ferrari, 3M, and BMW, along with a host of startups and government agencies, are using Amazon's machine learning for image recognition, forecasting, and intelligent speech, among other things. Think of the diversity of that. They can have AI, right? Copy with Thomson Reuters, develop drugs for AstraZeneca, design things, Ferrari and BMW. Facial recognition for the government might rub you the wrong way, but there's definitely a lot of money in it. 
Point is, Amazon's got a ton I didn't know about going on here. Take a program called Amazon Bedrock. Here's how the company describes it, and I quote, Imagine a content marketing manager who works at a leading fashion retailer and needs to develop fresh targeted ad and campaign copy for an upcoming line of handbags. To do this, they provide Bedrock, a few labeled examples of their best-performing taglines from past campaigns, along with associated product descriptions, end quote. Then Amazon Bedrock will, and I quote, automatically start generating effective social media, display ad, and web copy for handbags, end quote. Hey, it's like a marketing department in a program. That's incredible. And the cost they will save instead of hiring all those expensive specialists. The big consultants like Accenture, Deloitte, Infosys are relying on Amazon, too. Same deal. Now, we've all known about Amazon's inference prowess for years. It's how they recommend things you might like based on what you've already bought. But you might not know that Robin, a robotic system used across Amazon's operations network in the U.S., Canada, and Europe, uses, and I quote, artificial intelligence, computer vision, and machine learning to help employees handle and sort customer packages before shipment, end quote. More importantly, it makes their people a lot more productive. Why does it all matter? Because the most lucrative part of Amazon is advertising. It's a $40 billion business. If you're going to be successful in e-commerce, I think you need to engage with Amazon's products and their own learning chips. So Amazon will not be left behind by AI. It's just that it was first with a ton of this stuff and didn't even bother to trumpet it. They were embracing artificial intelligence before anyone cared, which is why they haven't gotten much credit. As someone who doubted their strength here, despite my speaking to Alexa on a daily basis, I now realize Amazon may actually be a leader, if not the leader, in making AI work for its customers in many ways that are much bigger than with Amazon itself. So count Amazon in the AI mix. It deserves to be there. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you next time. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.